The Fan. Hello and welcome back to the Full Court Press on a halfway through the wake Wednesday, March 25th, 401, your kickoff time. I'm Ajay Salveson. Grateful to have you joining us wherever and however you are doing so here on 106 FM, 1390 AM. And if you're streaming on 106.thefan.com, you can also find our previous and past episodes and interviews on our podcast platform of Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. Just type in the Full Court Press. Eric's name, my name, or whatever, the interview you're looking for, and you should be able to find it. Uh, kind of an empty time, right? We're still getting through this whole coronavirus situation. Uh, I know that there was hope that baseball, because baseball was supposed to start today, right? Opening day was today. And then they said two weeks. Now we're probably looking further than that. Now, maybe even into May, if not June. An interesting idea was brought up by an agent, a well-known agent, who had this monumental idea, but there's no really realistic way to make it happen. I'll We'll get into what we're talking about here later in the show. Uh, you'll also hear from uh, our replay interview for the week, or for today will be Stu Morrill, uh, a former Utah State coach who I got to sit down with and chat with for about 30 or so minutes. Uh, you'll get to hear the whole entirety of the interview, and uh, we'll play that for you, and uh, hope you enjoy that. And then at 5 o'clock, we'll have Ross Peterson. Now, Ross Peterson is a historian in Cache Valley sports. Athletics, athletes, he knows them all pretty darn well according to Ross. So, no, but he does a great job, and he does have a, a really good memory. Uh, so that'll be fun to be able to kind of reminisce about some of the athletes that he's been able to see come through the Valley, the great ones, past and present. Uh, let's do roll call if you are uh, listening to the show at 435-339-0321, 435-339-0321. Text in, let us know how you're doing, where you're at, how you hanging on, make sure you're doing all right. Uh Again, it's just one of those dead times, and and it's a kind of a sad day. Like I said, opening day baseball usually is a really fun day, right? Everyone gets excited. Um, it's uh, it's it's the first day, I guess, really officially the first day of spring for us sports fans when baseball gets underway. And so, uh, no uh, no baseball, at least not until most likely May, if not later than that. And then, of course, high school sports here in Cache Valley. In fact, all over the state was canceled officially for the spring, um, erasing all the seniors' uh, last chance to be able to dress in uniform and play. And, and that's extremely unfortunate, but it's understandable why. I uh, hope you're all staying safe out there. Uh, again, just remember, stay away, stay home. Don't Avoid large gatherings and big groups. Just don't do it. Don't need to. Um, but, uh, again, hopefully you're all staying safe out there. Uh, all right, so let's... Let's start off with a couple of news and notes before we get into uh, to Stu Morrow here, which we'll probably do in about the second segment based on how long the interview is in itself. Um, but there's, you know, yesterday we were talking about classic uniforms and uh, there was a rule from the NFL that teams who had a different logo on their helmet could not wear that helmet. So, for example, the Patriots, right, I'm a diehard Patriots guy, they had uh, Pat the Patriot, and he was in the center stance, right? It was, it was sweet, and I loved the uniforms. And when they would, they every now and then would go to the throwback. Thanksgiving Day, and a couple times, I think versus the Jets, uh, they did it. And then the NFL put a kibosh on it. Now, 
there's a helmet rule change again. And they're going back. And they said uh, that for the 2020 season, uh, according to Brad McCarthy, who's the league spokesman, there will be no change for the 2020. But there are ongoing discussions for a potential change for the 2021 season, but no decisions have been made. But they're considering to change its one-helmet rule, uh, allowing teams to use more helmets, to use more uniforms. And why not? Like, I don't get what the big deal is. I don't know why we're all making such a huge issue out of it. Um, like, for example, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, those creamsicle uh, uniforms. I love those things. I love classic uniforms. Um, it, it, they should allow the rollback. Bruce, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach, uh, Bruce Arenas, or Arenas uh, he, he agrees. Um, many players from the Patriots want those uniforms back. Uh, the Denver Broncos. I know they have the color rush uniform of the old of that old Denver logo with the D and then the Bronco in between it. A lot of um, a lot of in fact five Bronco players that spoke out. They want to wear the old ones. We remember where it was uh, it was uh, the blue and then the orange jerseys and such. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles, the Tennessee Titans. Did I say Philadelphia Eagles? Sorry, Philadelphia Eagles and the Tennessee Titans, who I believe. They would have the old Euler uniforms. And then the Philadelphia Eagles. I about said Eagles again. Philadelphia Eagles have the old yellow jerseys. It was a yellow helmet. This is way back in like 1935. But they had that yellow helmet with the blue wings on it. I'd love to see the old uniforms come back. I don't know why they put a ban on it in the first place. I, I I still don't get that. So yes, please bring the old uniforms back. Uh, now for uh, a touch of bad news, as we all know, this coronavirus is spreading, uh, and it's it's doing so pretty quickly, and. One player, uh, his family has actually been affected, and more specifically, uh, his uh, it was his mom who was affected, and that is Carl Anthony Towns. And in fact, uh, uh, Carl Anthony Towns uh, here is uh, is talking about um, talking about the announcement uh, of his mom. I'll let him speak here. This is Carl Anthony Towns just this morning uh, as he released a. As he released this video, give you an update of where I'm at. So I was, I was told early last week my, my my parents weren't feeling well. My first reaction to her was to go seek medical attention immediately. Uh, there's no reason to wait. You know, just go to the nearest hospital. And um, after a couple of days of not getting um, and showing any signs of improvement, um, I, I was very adamant on the first day to go to a hospital and uh, you know seek further evaluation. Specifically, me and my sister, I told her she needs to get checked for corona. I don't think anyone really understood what it was. You know, with a uh, uh, deteriorating condition. And, um, you know, so sweet. She kept getting worse. She kept getting worse, and um, the hospital was doing everything they can. I was doing everything I could. Um, still am, and um, 
Uh, she just wasn't getting better. Her fever was never cutting from 103, maybe go down to 101.9 with off with the meds, and then immediately spike back up during the night. She was uh, very uncomfortable. Uh, her lungs were getting worse. Her cough was getting worse. She was deteriorating. She was deteriorating from her eyes. We always felt that the next medicine would help. The next one would help. This is the one that's going to get it done. This mixture is going to get it done. Um, I'm sorry. Um, they released my dad with uh, quarantine, mandated quarantine, be at the house. He stood at the house for, uh, you know, still there today. Um, but my mom wasn't allowed to leave. Uh, both of them had got tests. Both of them didn't get the results, you know, for a long time. And um, we all assumed my mom had uh, COVID-19. Um, due to just the, the, the symptoms she was exhibiting and she was deteriorating daily and the uh, day that she was feeling great um, we talked and she felt she turned the corner I felt she was turning the corner I knew there were more days to come but you know I felt that we were going heading in the right direction and they said that you know she went sideways and things that went sideways quick and her lungs were extremely getting worse and she was having trouble breathing and um, you know they they were just explaining to me that she had to be put on the ventilator um, you know and she was getting she was getting worse and she was confused by everything and I'm trying to talk to her about everything and you know encourage and stay positive and you know just talk through everything with her I talked to her before she went there and told her I loved her Every day I always told her how much I love her. Um, she was telling me things that I didn't want to hear, so um, I dismissed some things she was saying because it wasn't something I want to hear. Um, it came to a point where you know, it, it's, it's difficult. It's been very difficult for me and my family, to say the least. She's the head of our household. She's the boss. She's been in a uh, in a medically induced coma. Um, since that day, I haven't talked to her. Haven't been able to obviously communicate with her. I've just been getting updates on her condition. It's 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 rough, and you know, uh, day by day, we're just seeing how it goes. And so we're being positive. I'm being very positive. So I'm just uh, keeping the strength up for everybody and my family only make this video so that people understand that the severity of this disease is, is real. This disease needs to not be taken lightly. Please protect your families, your, 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 your loved ones, your friends, yourself. Practice social distancing. Please don't be in places with a lot of people. Just hide your chances of getting this disease and this disease is not. It's deadly. It's deadly. And um, we're going to keep fighting on my side. My, me and my family are going to keep fighting this. We're going to beat it. We're going to win. Um, I hope my story helps. I hope my, my story gives you um, the correct information. You know, send my love to all your families. Um, praying for every single one of you guys. Keep everyone my thoughts and my prayers. Man. That's Carl Anthony Towns talking about his mother, Jackie, who is now in a coma and on a ventilator with COVID-19 situation around it. Now, Carl Anthony Towns did not come out and say in the video whether his mother, Jackie, had been diagnosed with the virus from COVID-19 itself. 
um, but only that his mother uh, has been struggling, uh, having trouble breathing, and that she was obviously confused. In fact, he mentions a couple times, if you heard it, uh, that he said that, that she was saying some things, and and it, it, it was disturbing for him as a, as a son, and that he couldn't handle it. And uh, and so he went out, and he, and he pleads in the video uh, for those around him um, to to be safe from this COVID-19, stay away from the situation, don't get in large groups. He, he pleads to the people. Uh, to just to, to be smart about the situation. Uh, our thoughts and prayers that go out to Carl Anthony Towns, his family, and especially his mother Jackie, and uh, and, and the best wishes. That's a that's a strong uh, that's a hard situation to go to, uh, or at least to be going through at this time with COVID nineteen all the way around it. Uh, he, at the end again, he says, "Quote: My mother is the strongest woman I know. I know she'll beat this, and I know that we will get through this." Uh, you know, Eric, it's something that you've talked about time and time again that we do need to be smart, and it's reasons like this where Carl Anthony Towns is pleading people to, hey, stay away. Like, if you don't need to be in a situation, don't. Like, don't risk it. It's not worth it. And, and now, I mean, and he has a, and now he's in a situation where it's his own mom, and if people gather around her and they're sick too, then it, this situation gets worse. It, it, it can, right? And there's a lot of people voicing frustration. Uh, over the last week or so, about people not uh, following these this this guidance for social distancing, still gathering in groups, um, and look, you, you, there's a difference between social isolation and social distancing. And, and as long as you keep your distance, you don't go in large groups. You can continue to do social distancing, but if you keep gathering together in large groups, people, then you're going to go to social isolation. Um, and that's what Idaho is is grappling with today. Their governor came out today and said, look, we're, we're shutting it down. It's a stay-at-home order for 21 days and in don't Idaho. Th- and, and don't think that we're far behind because we aren't. The state of Utah is just as close to that situation as Idaho is because we... I'd be respectful here, but I mean, I see big missionary group families getting together when the Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox had said, please do not do that. When the LDS church leaders came out and said, please just pick your kid up at the car, bring him home, quarantine him, and let's just, you know, let's do this the right way. We aren't. Utah, the state of Utah is really close to that situation just as much as that is. Yeah, that, not that. part of it, I get it. It's hard. You haven't seen your missionary for a long time, and there's some there's unique circumstances that are causing them to come home, and you just you want to wrap your arms around them. But we we really we got to be careful, folks. I mean, Utah has been better than than Idaho and getting out in front of of uh, you know trying to be you know social distancing, uh, dismissing schools, things like that. So the the curve of 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 expansion in the state of Utah hasn't been as sharp. Idaho was a little bit later. To, to get coronavirus cases confirmed then in Utah, but their prevalence of community spread now within the last few days is uh, is uh, accelerating. And so the state of Idaho is trying to get caught up and um, taking a little bit more extreme measures. Uh, hopefully Utah doesn't have to go to that, to, to that extreme, but if people continue to uh, gather together, if they don't, well, use proper sanitation, and uh, and you don't keep your distance from other people. That's it's going to happen. There's like 15 to 18 states that are in some form of a lockdown. 
because people weren't doing that before and it's it's spread. So All right, no, we let's got- be smart, you know? Do we don't let's not make this any worse than it has to be. We're going to take a break. Coming back, you will hear from Coach Stumerals. We play an interview uh, where I got to sit down with him for 30 or so minutes. We won't get through the whole interview, but we'll get through a good chunk of it. And then we'll, we'll go to a break. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the first hour. That's right. We'll cover the first hour. And then we'll get ready for Ross Peterson, the Cash Valley historian of uh, athletics. And we'll talk about great players from the past and great players from the present, both from high school and in college. And then we also have our movie quiz during the second hour of the 5 o'clock hour. That's all coming up on the Full Court Press, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Audrey Salas here on the Full Court Press alongside Eric Franson. All right, let's just get right to it. Stu World joined us on the Full Court Press in February during a celebration of Aggie teams of greats and it was a really fun week for both Eric and I a lot of great interviews and this for me was a huge highlight of being able to watch Stu Morrill walk the sidelines and uh and <laughs> and uh berate referees and uh and then stick up for Al Lewis when Al Lewis had to get after a referee every now and then but uh here it is it's the entire well we won't give you the entire interview due to time restraint on our side but we'll give you the majority of it here is Stu Morrill uh with me here on the uh oh there we go uh with me here on the full court press Former great coach of the Utah State Aggies, one of the best to ever do it, to stand on the sideline. It's Stu Morrill here joining us on the Full Court Press. Before, I guess, when you first started coaching at Utah State, to the end, former players have said that you actually mellowed out a lot towards the end. Is that true? And if so, why is that? Oh, I think it's true. And I think uh, I think the nature of, of kids nowadays was part of it. Um, you know, you're diff- dealing with a... Uh, a different type of young man, not better, not worse, but just different in terms of of how they want to be approached and how much coaching they will take. And coaching uh, has to be in the right form, I think, for the modern day player. And and I think also is a process of you know aging and uh, having coached for a long time and and all of that that kind of went into it. Uh, you get a little older, and I guess you gain a little perspective, but. I always thought Utah State would be my last job. I had coached it, as you know, I head coach at Montana and at Colorado State. And when I came to Utah State, I said this will probably be my last coaching job, and and didn't know that I would go as long as I did. Uh, Seventeen years was was a lot of fun, and and you know, a long time to be at one school nowadays. So I feel very fortunate to to have had the career that I had, and and it is really. In, uh, you know, a lot of credit, most of the credit should go to all the good players I had. Um, and and to walk away from coaching on your own is really hard to do anymore. And and that's something I wanted to do and have it be my decision. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's never anything but good feelings about Utah State. Coach, when you decided to, or when you stepped down, when did you make that decision? Was that before the year started? Was that in the middle of the year? And how did that all come about? You know, I announced it in, in early January. We'd actually won at Boise State. Uh, David Collette hit a shot at the buzzer, yep, and, absolutely. and we won. We won that game, and I was really glad that that I was announcing it after a win. Uh, so, so some people didn't think that I was just uh, tired of it all, depressed that we lost, that kind of thing. But, 
I I had been thinking about it all for you know for a year or two as to the timing and when I might want to want to do uh, do the announcement and I just felt like it was good for everybody uh, if I let it be known early that this was going to be my last season and and for me it uh, it just made a lot of sense and some people thought it was shouldn't have been done till the end of the year but uh, you know as as the old song says sometimes you get to do it my way and. And that's uh, that's what I was able to do. Did your players know before the season, or did they not know until you announced it? You know, that's one thing I <laughs> I regret. As you uh, as you have alluded to off air, I'm not the most technological savvy guy <laughs> in, in in America, and, and uh, so I planned on telling my players before practice, before you know, before it was really out there, and uh, it got out that morning. And you know they were a little perturbed that I hadn't told them because uh, I we'd uh, you know we had already moved ahead on it and I explained to them what had happened and they were great about it but yeah it's it's not something that you want to you want to put out there too early you just you just want to do it when you're going to do it. What's retirement life like now for you? What is Coach Morrill doing? I mean, you rock climbing? Are you? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> People ask me all the time. You know what are you what are you doing in retirement? And I just look at him, and most times I say this, Ajay. I say I'm doing whatever I want, <laughs> and that's the freedom of retirement. You, you know, you can get up every day and plan your day or not plan your day, and and uh, decide what you're going to do. The reason we moved back to Colorado was three of my four kids are here, and we're about to have our eleventh grandchild, and. Nine of eleven are in this area, so it just made sense. We stayed in Logan. We love Logan. We stayed there for three years after I retired, and uh, then it just made sense that uh, we moved back here, and we're enjoying it. It's a it's a nice place to live. It helped that we had lived here before. Uh, are you? Do you visit Utah often? Back or are you you stay in Colorado for the most part? We get there, you know, a few times a year if if things go right. Uh, for one thing, we have a son in Montana, our fourth child, and it just makes sense to go through Logan and see some people on the stay there for a night or two on our way to Montana. So that usually happens a couple times a year, and uh, you know, and wh- whatever brings us back, we're hoping to be here for the reunion this weekend, weather permitting. And I stress that because I don't. I don't, uh, at this stage of the game, uh, driving through Wyoming and risking my life doesn't make a lot of oh, sense. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. So, and I've done it enough times that I know exactly how it can be. So we'll, we'll see what the roads look like, but we're hoping to get there and, and be part of the, you know, the reunion of four, as I understand it, four championship teams. And yep. two of them were, uh, were ones I coached and it would be fun to, I don't know how many of those kids are coming back, but whoever does, it'd be awesome to see them. Well, let's get to there. 1999-2000 is one of those teams, and uh, this was a very, very good basketball team. And again, the NCAA tournament loses to uh, Connecticut. What do you most remember about the season? In fact, I, if I remember right, didn't you guys play a nationally ranked Florida team and barely lose? Is this, is this the same year? Yeah, we were. I, I think uh, we were in Maui playing in that team in that tournament. You know, and it was a who's who of college basketball, and we were kind of the the late add to that event. And I, you know, I made I I made the comment in the in the press room in the news conference before the tournament that all these teams have McDonald's All Americans, and I got a few guys that have been to McDonald's, um, and you know, they, people <laughs> people got a kick out of that. But 
our guys played great. It helped uh, spur us on to the rest of the season. Uh, we had a shot at the at the buzzer to tie or, or beat Florida, didn't make it. They were, I think, fourth in the country at the time. Uh, you know, and then and we won two out of three there and came home and eventually got on a, a long winning streak. And, um, you know, we had taken about seven new guys that season, and so we didn't really know what to expect. And they were just great kids that blended well and wanted to be coached and wanted to get better and, you know, uh, and it all worked out. We had had a had a fun season, and anytime you win a championship, a championship, it is a special deal for sure. There's something about you and winning streaks in conference play that just, I mean, blew my mind. This one here, you won 16 straight. You go to the Big West tournament, you dispose of Pacific pretty easily. You get by Nevada by five, and then New Mexico State. And by the way, you know, people forget how good New Mexico State was back when you were on the sideline. And they played against you guys. They always brought their best when it was a versus the uh, Utah State Aggies. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, as I recall, as we were, you know, we were playing that tournament uh, in in Reno. <laughs> you know, so uh, we're playing Reno, and we have to play Nevada on their floor, basically. And and I remember the last night when we're playing New Mexico State is they they were very good. You're right about that. But I remember asking the commissioner. We were nationally ranked. Uh, we had won 18 in a row in league games, and we we're playing our 19th. I said, "Now, do we have to win this game to be in the tournament, or are we, are we in?" And he goes, "Oh, no, no, you're in. Don't worry about it." So I went in and told my team to relax. Uh, don't feel a lot of pressure. Let's go. Let's go play and have fun. And and we did just that, and we won the game. And the next day, we were a 12 seed, which told me we were not in had we not won that game. Um, you know, and it was probably presumptuous when we were in the Big West at that time to to think we would be in. But when you're nationally ranked and you have that kind of winning streak, you kind of think you might be. But we wouldn't have been, and a credit to those guys that we were able to win our 19th straight and and go on and face the returning national champion, the defending national champion, I should say, in Connecticut. They had that point guard, right? Elmi or something like that. Yeah, he was <laughs> he was really really good. They had a they had a good team. I think we lost by eight, but we were, yep. uh, you know, we were in the game. And and uh, I remember Jim Calhoun to me saying to me afterwards, is you know, there's really there's really no difference. I just got better players than you, which I thought was an interesting <laughs> thing to say. Uh, but I think he was trying to give a compliment as best he could, uh, you know. And, <laughs> and it was, you know, it's funny what you remember, but that one stuck with me a little bit. You guys had quite the roster, actually. I mean, you had Troy Roll, who was a senior at the time. Tony Brown, we all know who Tony Brown is and was. Sean Dan, and, and a lot of this roster came back to help you guys the following season. And, Coach, that was a special season for a lot of reasons. Obviously, the main one, you guys ended up uh, getting by Ohio State in the first round uh, of the NCAA tournament. But you also, uh, against Utah, beat them by one and at, at home. What do you remember about that game? We had Utah's... Uh I don't want to say we had their number, but we had we had some really special games against Utah, and it was one of those. I mean, uh, I, I think during my time we we ended up nine and five against Utah, or something of that nature. It might have been eight and five. I'm not sure, but something around there. And uh, you know the the value of those in-state games. Everybody knows how important they are. And I just remember that it was a knockdown drag out affair, and. You know, lots of emotion, lots of things happened, and 
You know, I actually remember the one my first year even even uh, better. They were they were ranked in the top ten in the country, and and we were not very good. We were fourteen and thirteen or something like that my first year, and 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 Tyrone Alec hit his only three of the year, and we we won the game. So, uh, you know, the, you remember a lot of things about those different teams, and the following year, you're right when we beat Ohio State. That was that was very special. It'd been a been a long time since Utah State. I think uh, 31 years since Utah State won a tournament game, yeah. and and unfortunately, the years are starting to add up again since we won a tournament uh, tournament game. And you know, certainly hopeful that 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 happens soon. And and some of the great teams that Craig's got and had last year and this year, and you know, it's uh, it's it's a it's a strong thing when you get to the NC2A tournament to. You know, because sometimes you don't get the very good seed, and it makes it very difficult. Coach, I, I think people forget this a lot, but <laughs> uh, after Tony Brown hit that floater to uh, get you guys in overtime, before the overtime, Ohio State had an inbounds pass that got over Sean Daniels, and the guy nearly banked it in from, like, half court. I'd be like, people forget about that play, how close you guys were to losing on a buzzer shot from half court to Ohio State. That was a heck of a game, you know, uh <laughs> Sean Daniels, he's a player that, in, because he was a junior college player, uh, sometimes I'm not sure he gets the recognition he deserves. I mean, he was a fabulous player for us, and and in my mind should be in the Utah State Hall of Fame. And I'm hoping he'll return to this reunion. I'd love to see him. It's been it's been a long, long time. But, um, you know, he was instrumental in winning that game. He, that might have been the game where I asked him afterwards why, what the heck was the deal with the bank free throw and – <laughs> and he said, "Coach, I wasn't going to shoot an air ball on national TV. He was he, he was not a great free throw shooter, but and you know it's interesting because only in Utah would this probably happen. But I I made the comment after the game that that Tony Brown uh, made a great city league move with the triple pump fake before all oh, the lost church it. ball move. I think is what you called it. No, I didn't. I called it a city league move. Oh, you did call? Okay, <laughs> yeah." That's the funny thing to me is that everybody turned that into a church league move, uh, which, which either one works. But I, you know, with the, uh, you know, with the the strong faith there in Utah and the the influence of that, it was funny how that that somehow turned into that statement. But what a great shot by Tony at the time. What did you remember about Tony Brown? Obviously, a local kid at Mountain Crest had a great career there. You guys get him there. What was the recruitment process like to bring him to Utah State and his career like as uh, as a coach of him? You know, Larry Eustacey recruited him, so oh, okay. you know, I always thanked Larry for that one. Tony was a <laughs> uh, freshman when when we got there, and, uh, you know, we just I went to his Hall of Fame induction a couple of years ago, and I, we were still living in Utah at the time, and, and was just so proud of him, and some of his teammates came back, and, you know, just a special kid. The fact that he was local and had such a great career, uh, you know, made it extra special, but you know, I, I always gave Tony a bad time about his ability or inability to play defense. Uh, you know, he but he got better and better and was just a real student of the game and figured out how to be an all-around player and and just, you know, figured real prominently in those teams doing so well during that time period. Head coach or former head coach of the Utah State Aggies, Stu Morrill joining us here on the Full Court Press. Uh, Coach, we look at the 2009 
2010 team that will be honored as well on uh, this Saturday night against Boise State. This team also had a winning streak. It was in the WAC. It was 15 games, which included wins over uh, Wichita State as well. Uh, what do you remember about this season and about this team? You know, that that was when we had we had changed leagues a couple times during my coaching career, and one of the adages in coaching is, you know, when, when your school decides to move up in, in terms of a a league move, you should probably try and find another job because <laughs> oftentimes that leads to the to the head coach being terminated because it, it's an adjustment anytime you step up a league. And we did it a couple times while I was coaching, uh, actually from the Big West to the to the WAC and uh, from the WAC to the Mountain West, of course. And you know that the time frame with that 9 10 team, uh, you know, we won four straight WAC championships and. That is something that will always be really special to me. One of them we tied for the first one, but we won the next three outright. We went to three straight NC2A tournaments. And anytime you can, in any league you're in, you can win four straight championships. You have awfully good players, awfully fond memories. And uh, the WAC at that time was, was very good. A lot of the current Mountain West teams were were in the league. Uh, San Diego State was not, but the, almost all the the rest were in the whack at that time. So, you know, I just, those teams get bunched together in my mind because, you know, those kids were, a lot of those kids were on three of those teams. And, um, you know, we just had a great run. I, I, met, I do specifically remember the game against Wichita State because um, they were nationally ranked and, and we, right. got them in, we got them in Bracket Buster in the spectrum. And you talk about a crazy atmosphere. And, uh, one of one of the all time fun games that we're able to win, and you know we had uh, during my coaching career we had two at large berths to the NC two A tournament, and people understand how hard it is to get in that large berth. And uh, one of those teams lost to New Mexico State in the tournament and in the conference tournament, and still got into the NC two A tournament. So you know all of those teams during that time period where where we were able to win the WAC. Uh, four straight times, they were very highly thought of and nationally, and and uh, you know it'll be. I hope to be there to see some of these uh, kids were, that were on that team. Yeah, what did you think about the bracket buster? Were you a fan of those things? I was not, and should have been. Um, you know, it it ended up being something that really helped us. Uh, as people who follow basketball know, it's really hard to get home games especially if you've had success and you're a mid-major. Uh, and Bracket Buster allowed us to have some good teams come play in the spectrum and a very, was very instrumental in helping us get in a large berth, uh, I think, two times. So, um, you know, it's it, – uh, and, it you know, some of, those, some of those games you go play on the road or the return game you go play on the road, uh, you know, going into Wichita wasn't all that fun, uh, although we played well and lost. And – you know, some of the uh, places we had to return games. But the event, I thought, was really good for mid-major schools. During this season, in fact, almost like in the era of this time, you, you coached some special, special players. J.C. Carroll was one of those guys. He was not on this squad. He had just graduated. But in comes Jared Quayle, uh, 6'1", but averages 12.5 points, just over six rebounds and four assists. That kid was so underrated in Aggie lore because he wasn't J.C. Carroll, and he had just had to come right after him, but was such a special basketball player. Jared Quell was a huge part of us winning, winning championships and going to the NC2A. Uh, funny story how we, 
how we got Jared. Uh, he was a local kid that nobody really offered him a, a Division One scholarship, uh, you know, and, and he went to junior college. And my guys, my assistants, had seen him a lot in the summers. He'd come over and play with our guys. And, you know, he's tearing it up in junior college. And, and uh, I told one of my assistants, you need to go see him. And he came in and he said, you know, I can see him or this other kid, and, and I've also already seen Jared, and, you know, he's not quite good enough coach, and I want to go see this other kid. And I said, no, 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 you're going and seeing Jared Quayle, the local guy. Let's make sure. And he was sitting in my office the next morning when I arrived about 8 a.m., and, and he had kind of a sheepish look on his face, and he said, Coach, you were right. That kid's really good. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you get fortunate in – and the decisions you make, and Jared, of course, had followed Utah State basketball as a as a little guy, and and wanted to be an Aggie, and it was a one of those easy recruits that you get. A lot of times, recruiting is really, really hard, but then you have the Jared Quails or the Nate Harris's of the world. Nate Harris just when I explained everything to him, he said, "Yeah, okay, I want to come." <laughs> <laughs> and you know. When you get those kind of players that are that good, that were that easy to recruit, uh, and like I say, a lot of times they're local, uh, it's a really fun deal. You know, you've also coached a lot of special big men. You mentioned Nate Harris, Gary Wilkinson, Spencer Nilsson. Ty Wesley became an All-American. You know, uh, I don't know if you ever know how good they're going to be. Gary was an All-American, too, that Gary Wilkinson. And, and again, uh, you know, I'm a junior college guy, so you oftentimes hear me sticking up for Sean Daniels or – Jared Quayle or Gary Wilkinson, because it's harder for them to get uh, sometimes the recognition from the school when they're all said and done because they were only here for two years. And, um, you know, where whereas Ty Wesley was a starter for all four years and was originally slated to go to BYU, but they kind of dropped the ball on the way they handled that. And uh, we had we had told them exactly what we were we were going to do and uh, before his mission, redshirt, and all those kind of things, and you know, my my uh, one of my best buddies growing up was the high school coach for Ty Wesley, and he was always trying to get us a player at Provo High School. Craig Drury, uh, the all-time winner in state championships in the state of Utah, and a great high school coach, and we kept losing him, of course, most often to BYU, but uh, he really helped us get Ty Wesley. <laughs> And thank goodness, because his career was just outstanding. And he's still playing, you know, yeah. as, is J- as is J.C. Carroll. And, you know, a lot of these kids have gone on to have uh, really good careers playing professionally after after playing at Utah State. Uh, J.C. Carroll has uh, said that he's going to be retiring after the uh, season is over. What do you remember about J.C. Carroll? Uh, what made him such an elite basketball player in, in your mind? Well, I, I don't know that I've ever had a guy that had a motor like J.C. had. I mean, I, the, the guy never got tired. I always tell the story. He came back off his mission, and uh, we always run the, the Aggie Mile to, to time guys, see what kind of shape they're in. And, and, you know, usually missionaries are at the back of the pack because they haven't been able to work out for two years. And J.C. ran a four-something mile. Uh, it, it was incredible. And... Uh, you know, I, I remember him as a player just – I never took him out for being tired. I took him out if he got a little flustered, which he didn't do very often. And especially his junior and senior year, he hardly came out of the game. But what a what a quick release, uh, you know, an unbelievable 
shooter, uh, as good a guard rebounder as, as I ever had. Uh, like Tony a little bit, he had to get better defensively, but, uh, you know, I mean, he, he averaged 22 points his senior year and just had a fabulous career and great athlete. And a lot of people missed on him and we were fortunate he ended up at uh, Utah State. Coach Morrill joining us here on the Full Court Press. Uh, Coach, I hate to ask you this, as many successful seasons as you had here at Utah State, you had so many heartbreaking losses in the NCAA tournament. Is there one that stands out to you that you really want back so badly? Yes. Uh, the one that will always haunt me that I still have nightmares about is Marquette. Oh. Uh, we were playing in, in Boise. Um, we, were, we were up in that game in a position to win going down the stretch. And uh, were you up six with like a minute left or two minutes yeah, left? What was it was it? like it was like two minutes. Yeah, ago. we were up six, and and uh, we did a good job defensively. They shoot an air ball, had it hit the rim, would have probably rebounded it, and had a chance to go up eight and run some clock. Instead, shoot an air ball that grazes his rim, falls in their hands. They score it. Uh, now they're they're only down four, and they go on to win the game. And you know that that one haunted me. I mean. You know, I sometimes uh, chuckle because a lot of people say, "Well, uh, and you and you get you know the longer you coach, the more you're able to block out what what a lot of people think that want to want to have negative thoughts." But you know, we lost a lot of games in the NCAA tournament, but we were playing the who's who of college basketball. Yep. You know, we were a 15 seed or we were a 12 seed. 12 seed, we always had a chance. I think we were actually an 11 seed when we played Marquette. Uh, and the, we were a 12 seed when we beat Ohio State, but we had, you know, we were playing uh, Connecticut, Arizona. It goes on and on. I mean, uh, the teams that, that we played, UCLA, the teams we played in the NC2A tournament, uh, and I'm not trying to make an excuse. It just is a reality that, that made those games, uh, you know, really, really tough games on neutral courts trying to beat, uh, you know, top 10, top 15 teams. We played Kansas right to the wire. That's right. When, when Roy Williams was coaching, and and uh, they went to the national championship right that year and that, lost to Syracuse. They got all the way to yes, yeah, so all the way to the finals that year, and and uh, Troy Roll I think actually had a had a shot to send that game into overtime that that we missed, and um, but it went right right to the wire, and they had a ton of pro players on that team, and so most for most for the most part our guys represented very well. You'd know, like to find a way to win a few more and. And that is always something you'll feel a little bit bad about. But we we did get there eight times, and that's not easy to do. Do you still have a little bit of bitterness toward the committee for always? I just feel like they always screwed you guys on on the seating. You know, the seating thing is you're kind of a victim of of uh, what league you're in and how they view that league, and you know how the other teams in your league do. And you always hear Gonzaga wanting like they wanted BYU in their league. They wanted their league. They challenge the other teams in their league to get better so that they can get, uh, you know, better seeding in the NCAA tournament and so forth. But I don't know if I – I got so used to it that I just shook my head most of the time when when our seeding would come out. You know, that uh, that last championship team we had that went to the NCAA tournament, um, I, most people thought that we would be, you know, a, a seven or an eight or – uh, the most a nine, and you know. Then again, we we ended up, I believe, at twelve. So it's just the way it was, you know. And uh, when you got to the NC two A tournament, you were 
dang proud to be there, but it quickly changed into let's see if we can if we can get something done this year. And you know, uh, it'll always you'll always feel a little bit bad that we didn't uh, win more games in the tournament. Do you still stay, uh, stay in touch with Randy Ray? Yeah, I just saw him the other night. They were uh, they were here uh, playing Northern Colorado. Went to dinner with him and went to his game. Unfortunately, they didn't play very well and and lost, but. Uh, you know, Randy was a long time assistant. I had assistants with me a long, long time. And I always told people, well, I let them play golf in the off season. That's the only reason they stay with me. <laughs> but, but, uh, they, you know, I had, uh, Don Verlin a long time, Randy Ray, 13 years. Don Verlin was like 15 years. Tim Durier was, uh, at least that long might've been 14, 15 years. So, um, I was very fortunate. It gave us great continuity throughout the the many years we were there. I remember, because I would always ask you, and I'd listen on the radio, you would always ask you about <laughs> about Randy Ray, and every time you'd get emotional and choked up, and just it meant so much. Some of these coaching staff members meant so much to you. Well, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're in a very competitive profession, and it's uh, a profession where, you know, they don't hesitate <laughs> to send you down the road and, and bring in a different staff, and uh, and you get guys that live and die with you day to day, it, and it becomes their program as much as it is your program as a head coach, and that's what you want. And and I had those guys were all very special that way. And you know, Randy, I uh, I hired Randy out of basketball camp here at Colorado State. Uh, the the great Boyd Grant told me, hey, there's a high school coach you might want to go watch if you got a position for him on your staff, and. And I went over and watched his team in camp and watched his enthusiasm and his knowledge. And and obviously that's all proven out. He's been a very, very good head coach as well as all the years of being an assistant. What do you- all right, that's our interview with Stu Morrow. There is more to it. If you want to find that, you can go to the podcast platform of iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify and find that. You can type in Stu's name, my name, the Full Court Press, and... Uh, or even Eric's name, um, it will be there for you. What a what a great experience that was for me to be able to uh, to talk to Coach against someone who I always enjoyed watching, especially his basketball teams when they when they came onto the court. It was all business, no matter who they were playing, no matter where they were playing. Uh, they always felt like they had a chance. And in those NCAA tournament games, as he said, they did play the who's who of college basketball. And more often than not, um, those uh, those opponents got the very best and much more than they possibly can handle. All right, coming back, we'll close up the first hour. Ross Peterson will join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. We'll talk about some Cash Valley greats, past and present, high school and college. It's all on the Full Court Press, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. The Aggies, Jazz, High Schools, even the Pee Wee's T-Ball team. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, The Fan. Eric Franson there, Ajay Salveson here, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan, 106.9thefan.com if you're streaming. Grateful to have you joining us wherever and however you are. Hope you're having a wonderful day and hope you're staying safe from the situations that have abounded us that we've talked about ad nauseum. Uh, big thanks again to Stu Moreau for taking the time with us a couple months ago, or actually just last month, and to, to share his thoughts. Eric, it's fun listening to Stu. One of the greatest coaches. <laughs> he was underrated in basketball. Um, and a great storyteller. Oh yeah, I always loved uh, Stu at his uh, his press conferences when he met with the f- with the boosters and the fans. Because uh-huh. he'd be up there telling stories, people would ask him questions, and he was so entertaining, so entertaining. Who does it better, Craig Smith or Stu Morrill? 
Well, uh, I got to go with Stu just because there's more of a body of work. Yeah. And just the way he would spin stories and make everybody laugh. He was a <laughs> jokester. Yeah, he really is good. Like, and, and you knew it was sincere and genuine. And I'm, I'm not saying that Craig's not genuine because he is. He's a sincere and genuine nice guy. But the way that Stu would tell a story and sometimes hold it to be bitter would just it was just funny, and I loved it. And again, that was an absolute honor and blast to talk to him. All right, coming up, second hour, Ross Pearson will join us to talk about the history of Cash Valley athletes on the Full Court Press.